Welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Top story of the day. Donald Trump has gag order reinstated. He then responds immediately. Put up the glorious mug shot full mass. There you go. That's right, Donald. Never surrender. Per Mediate, the federal judge overseeing Donald Trump's criminal trial for charges relating to subverting the 2020 election has reinstated a gag order. So it is very important to note, this is not a new order. This is not a new ruling. This is a ruling that said, yes, the gag order was actually constitutional. The 2020 election has been at the center of all of this controversy. So earlier this month, U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin ordered a temporary hold on the gag order against Donald Trump. But on Sunday evening, the court's online docket revealed it is now back in place. So typically, a judge will look at all of the evidence and make a ruling. Trump has been charged by special counsel Jack Smith for allegedly attempting to overturn the presidential election. He also faces three other criminal indictments in New York, Florida, and Georgia. If convicted, Trump could spend the rest of his life in prison on social media, specifically Truth Social. Trump has levied attacks on prosecutors and various court officials, as well as key witnesses in the federal criminal cases levied against him. Now, let's be very clear about the reality of Donald Trump and the privilege he gets to experience. If anyone else would say anything close to what he has said on social media or on a microphone, even a personal phone, they would be arrested for witness tampering, for threatening a prosecutor, for threatening a judge. Make no mistake about it. The gag order should have been in place as soon as he said something that was, of course, intimidating to any potential witness. And the way Donald Trump does it is he basically will animate his followers against the individuals who are telling the truth about him. That's how he does it. At some point, one of these judges, instead of just issuing a gag order, they're going to have to enforce it. How do you enforce a gag order? Well, multiple ways. Number one, you can give a stern warning. If Trump does this again, I'm going to have him arrested for contempt. Two, you can provide a civil fine. Or three, lock his ass up. All right, let's put it up full mass. This was the response initially. So following the ruling, Trump issued a public response on Truth Social claiming, quote, the corrupt Biden administration just took away my First Amendment right to free speech. Not constitutional. Make America great again. Uh, let's talk about the insanity of his statement. Number one, obviously, the Biden administration made no ruling. None. They're not involved. I, I do find it ironic that the same individual who literally called a foreign leader while he was president tried to withhold approve money from Congress. We can argue if that was even appropriate politically, but it was legal. The money 
was allocated to a foreign nation. Donald Trump called that leader, said, hey, you know, I got that money coming, but I need you to do something for me. There's a guy. He has a son. He needs to be investigated. This is the same person. He literally tried to weaponize a foreign government against an American citizen who happened to be his political opponent. There's more. So Trump continued, I have just learned that the very biased Trump-hating judge in D.C. who should have recused herself due to her blatant open loathing of your favorite president, me, has reimposed a gag order which will put me at a disadvantage against my prosecutorial and political opponents. This order, according to many legal scholars, is unthinkable. It illegally and unconstitutionally takes away my First Amendment right of free speech in the middle of my campaign for president while I am leading against both parties in the polls. Few can believe this is happening, but I will appeal. How can they tell the leading candidate that he, and only he, is seriously restricted from campaigning in a free and open manner? It will not stand. Uh, Donald Trump is actually getting better at lying. It's fascinating. When you take this and provide no other context, somebody will look at it and say, well, damn, Trump, that does make sense. Why is this judge stopping you from campaigning? It's not what the order says. The gag order is very specific to the trial, to the case against him. It's about witness intimidation. It's about saying things on record publicly that would absolutely transform members of the jury, which by the way, we call that a no-no in the criminal justice system. Always has been that way. There's nothing new about gag orders. People get them all the time. All of a sudden when Donald Trump gets a gag order, and by the way, he got a privilege nobody else would have, which is a temporary stop on the gag order. He gets a gag order. He's in absolute violation of this gag order. He still is not called out for it. No problem. But to make anyone believe that somehow this is unconstitutional because it happened to Trump is once again an illustration of his, well, let's just say, insanity. There's more. Trump then appeared to suggest retribution in addition to what he's already said on record. Quote, why didn't crooked Joe Biden tell his injustice department to file the lawsuits and indictments against me three years ago instead of right in the middle of my campaign for president? You're setting a bad president for yourself, Joe. The same can happen to you. This third world Biden indictment, which should never have been filed, would have been tried and over with years ago. My sleazebag opponent shouldn't be able to do this during my campaign or before the election. You know, I find that last statement interesting. Um, he's saying he should not be able to do this 
during the election, during my campaign. Well, I mean, are you saying, Trump, that he should be able to do it? He just should have done it earlier or, or perhaps later? Are you saying that it is proper to do just the timing is bad? And if the timing was better, it would be more appropriate to do this thing. Is reality. He is going to impact the opinions of many by way of this rhetoric. It is intended to do so. Uh, if a judge is not willing to enforce these gag orders, you all have to stop giving them because every time he violates a gag order in spirit, every time he decides to opine on an issue that you just told him, stay away from because there's a gag order now, it looks as if he's victorious. You see, his people champion his disrespect of your authority. So when you set an authority without the willingness to enforce it, it sets him up for a victory until you lock his ass up. Now, outside of that, he's going to keep winning. So at some point, one of these judges, they're going to have to enforce the order because Trump is not going to stop until you do. All right. We will bring you updates as they come. I'm sure he will violate the gag order by tonight. Hell of a thing. All right. Center out of Pennsylvania. Well, this happened. Here it is. Something. Well, I'm just here for a humanitarian ceasefire. No, I'm with the guys. team. If you like, I can talk to you. No, I can talk. To, I voted for him. I'm sorry. This is a democracy. It absolutely is. Yeah, absolutely yeah, is. but kind of, sort of. Why? 10,000 people in Gaza have been killed. Half are children. The Pope's calling for a ceasefire. The UN is called for it. I'm just asking you. You're a good guy. I voted for you. I know you're a nice guy. This is important. You need to leave. Here, can I give you a phone? Here. I ask you a question. So I ask you a question. He just assaulted him. He just assaulted him. He just assaulted him. He just assaulted him. He was just talking to him. He's assaulted him. Put up the picture full mass. Let me be very clear. The man asking the question not only had the right to ask the question, in my opinion, it was the right question to ask the senator from Pennsylvania. Senator John Fetterman allegedly walked away from a constituent who posed the question about his stance on the humanitarian ceasefire in the Gaza Strip, as Israel has reportedly started to roll out its ground invasion of the territory. Let's provide proper contextualization to what we have in front of us. While many would like to pose that this is a war between Israel and the Palestinians, there is no Palestinian military force coming into Israel. This is Israel at war with Hamas. Hamas has committed criminal offenses according to Hamas. They have done so. And according to narratives that are counter, so has Israel. But the PR or the spin has been quite different. Regardless of where you fall, in that equation, we can debate that until we're blue in the face. Under this democracy, a person has the right 
to ask a question without being physically assaulted by somebody. And here's the part where I blame Fetterman. And I know some people are going to say Fetterman had nothing to do with it. Uh, damn that. Fetterman is a bold proclaimer of what he believes. It's no way in the hell somebody would be able to do that to another human being who's posing a legitimate question to me, and I'm not even a public figure. This is how democracy works. You cannot be opposed to questions if you seek to serve. There's more. Following Hamas's uh, surprise attack on Israel on October 7th, the Democratic senator stated, quote, he would unequivocally support any necessary military, intelligence, and humanitarian aid to Israel. In a later statement, he reiterated his support for Israel, adding, quote, now is the time to talk, now is not the time to talk about a ceasefire. Fetterman's stance sparked statewide pro-Palestinian protests outside of his four offices with hundreds of demonstrators gathering at Custom House in Philadelphia on Thursday. Keep that statement up because I want to bring your attention to a problem. Newsweek is not the only one to a problem with the framing of the conversation. You will clearly see that it says that pro-Palestinian protests outside his four offices. See, that's called framing, framing the debate. You don't have to necessarily be pro-Palestinian to be pro-humanitarian aid. Please understand this. You can actually be pro-Israel and also pro-cease fire for the sake of humanitarian aid. It's something that has been done commonplace as it relates to war. Uh, the UN, they have a security council. That security council will say, you know, we're going to vote in the affirmative to allow for humanitarian aid to come to those who are innocent and caught in the middle of this very violent situation. And then typically they have a period of time that the ceasefire for humanitarian purposes will remain in place. That's to protect the innocent. That's to protect those who are simply, as I've said before, waking up in the morning every day, going to work, trying to make money to pay their mortgage, take care of their bills, put food on the table, raise their children. That's what it's for. To oppose humanitarian aid is extreme, in my opinion. Maybe there's a debate about how long, but to say no flat out, well, Senator, I think the man had a right to at least get a response, not to get physically assaulted. Among the many, among the many, who have called on Fetterman to reconsider his position and demand an immediate ceasefire in Gaza was Daniel Kovalik, a 55-year-old former professor of international human rights who shared the video on Twitter, now known as X, in which he confronts the senator about his stance on the Israel-Hamas war, Hamas war, excuse me, in the video. The professor who taught at the University of Pittsburgh School of Law uh, until his contract ended in June posed the question to the Democrat, why doesn't, why he doesn't support a humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza? Fair question. After an off-camera person appeared to attempt to stop the professor from posing such questions. The professor said, quote, I can talk to him. I voted for him. I'm sorry. 
this is a democracy. And he continued to pose the question. Put up the picture for a man. Okay. Fetterman remained silent. Okay. He listened at that moment. You clearly saw it to the professor. Before he can be seen walking away as the professor is physically pushed out of the building. I just need to understand this. Why, why would you let this stand? Newsweek contacted Fetterman's press team and the professor for comment and further information via email on Monday. Quote, I just took on John Fetterman for his failure to support a ceasefire for Gaza and was assaulted. Come see the violence inherited in the system, the professor wrote on X. He states in the thread under the video he paid for a ticket to the event and he is considering filing charges against the man who decided to physically assault him. There's more. Uh, in a statement about the conflict, obviously, published by his office, Fetterman said that he won't support a ceasefire until after Hamas is neutralized. It read in part, I grieve for every innocent person. I grieve for every innocent person and brave Israeli soldier killed since Hamas started this war. If not for the horrific attacks by Hamas terrorists, thousands of innocent Israelis and Palestinians would still be alive today. Now is not the time to talk about a ceasefire. We must support Israel in their efforts to eliminate the Hamas terrorists who slaughtered innocent men, women, and children. Hamas does not want peace. They want to destroy Israel. We can talk about a ceasefire after Hamas is neutralized. The lack of humanity is right before us, right before us. Humanitarian ceasefire for the innocent. So how do we grieve for the innocent, but sign off on the innocent dying? They don't have anything to do with this war. The vast majority of citizens of any country have very little, if anything, to do with international conflict. Typically, they are pawns. They are told they must fight. They must pick up a gun and shoot. The vast majority will not be recruited by their government's military. They will continue to work, pay taxes. It's the system that we have inherited. I'm disappointed in the senator, to say the least. I'm disappointed in his stance. I'm disappointed in the lack of contextualization. I'm disappointed in the lack of humanity. I thought the professor had a good point, a good question, and at least it should have been answered. And I hope he does press charges against whoever decided to physically assault him because of a question. All right. We'll bring you updates as they come. We'll let you know if the professor decided to file charges or not and who that individual is. Okay, we have an indisputable update. I received an email that said, indisputable got charges dropped. Put up the picture full mass, and then I'm going to give you the video and the background as to what happened. You remember this story. That is Kiana Cooper. Here's what happened to Ms. Cooper, and the update is all charges have now been dropped after we covered this. Here it is. For Zulu Raymond. Oh my God, this is amazing. This is amazing. 
How you doing? You got an ID on you, ma'am? Why am I giving my ID? Because I asked for it. Because you asked for Yes, ma'am. Okay, I no longer feel comfortable because I don't even have a problem Okay, here. well, I'm asking for your ID. If you don't produce it, I'm going to take you to jail. Okay, so let okay, me see your ID. Do you hear this, Mom? Do you hear this, Mom? I'm waiting on my friend, and now I'm about to get arrested because I'm, I'm not going to ask you again. I'm not going to ask you again. Do you hear this, Mom? He's not giving me a problem, or what? What did I do wrong? What did I do? These people can kill me, Mom. I'm going to ask you one more time, and then I'm going to pull you out of the car. Okay? You're not pulling me out of nothing. Sorry, please. Why are you being picture of the physical assault evidence on her body. That's what the cop did to her. Keep the picture up. Prosecutors have now dropped all charges against Kiana, who was falsely accused of assaulting a Broward Sheriff's deputy who arrested her on her birthday last year for refusing to present ID when asked for it. Ms. Cooper would no longer face felony charges of aggravated battery on a law enforcement officer and resisting an officer with violence. Ms. Cooper has maintained from the time of her arrest that the deputy, Stephen Davis, was the aggressor in the encounter, most of which was recorded on his body cam May 7, 2022. I had the pleasure of speaking with Ms. Cooper off record not too long ago. Let me give you a statement she gave us directly about her experience. Quote, this officer, a BSO, ruined my life, my finances, and my physical abilities. Prior to this event, I had a clean record, free to get whatever opportunities suits me. Now I have to work part-time just so I don't miss court dates or a drug and alcohol test that gets called once a month randomly. It was a condition of bail. All in all, it has been a year and three months of my judge being switched. My court dates pushed back constantly. Officer Stevenson Davis of BSO lying under oath more than three different stories, both on the scene, off the scene, and in court. A left leg and spine have his days where I'm in a terrible amount of pain to this day. Stephen Davis was completely negligent and uncivil by his approach towards me. I felt safe in my locked car. There's more. I was trying to give my ID, however, my birthday nails at the time, as well as the gift cards stacked behind my ID, was making it difficult for me to grab out of my wallet 
him not answering my question really deterred me from getting my idea. And I got scared and confused as to why he couldn't just answer my question. So I started talking to my mom to calm myself down and explain the situation to my mother. I want to remind everyone that when we first covered this story and received those exclusive elements, we were also able to highlight the fact that this same officer had a routine. He had an MO. He had done this to other people, simply parked, doing nothing illegal, and then finding a reason to physically assault them and charge them with nothing other than resisting arrest. We were able to talk about that during the first time we covered it. There's more. There's always the monkey wrench. In a memorandum explaining the decision not to prosecute assistant, state attorney Lindsey Carrier said Davis could have arrested Cooper for refusing to hand over the driver's license while he was investigating an assault complaint. But that was not Davis's rationale, according to his official reports and his testimony, because he knows his BS, Attorney General. That's why he didn't put it in his official report. Quote, he reached into a vehicle, opened a car door and removed her from her vehicle to prevent her from fleeing the scene. She summarized. The problem was there was no evidence that Cooper was trying to flee the scene, she said. The BWC does not capture Ms. Cooper attempting to start the vehicle or drive forward, she said. The assistant uh, attorney general also said she would have struggled to prove it was Cooper who physically harmed Davis. You don't say, prosecutor. There is no clear moment in the body cam video showing Ms. Cooper causing such an injury. And Davis's own comments were inconsistent. First, he said, Cooper bit his lip. Then he said he was mistaken and that she scratched him. She, she didn't bite me. She scratched him. Davis was also challenged on what he saw when he arrived at the scene. In one of his sworn statements, he said he observed Cooper, quote, gesturing at bystanders as well as threatening them with bodily harm or violence. What? Carrier wrote in her summary. None of the witnesses interviewed for the case corroborated that account. And it's not captured in the body cam footage. She noted. Seeing no reasonable likelihood, a jury would find Ms. Cooper guilty. Prosecutor announced a null pros in court Monday through her attorney. Uh, Cooper declined comment. So a direct source with ties with the family said, and I quote, we have so much to say to you regarding how the lawyer, judge, and state handled us during the process. The state attorney also would like to speak with us as we have gotten news that there were some unfair practices going on during her trial. They also said this, quote, I want to thank you, Dr. Rashad, and the whole TYT network. I am pleased to say if the airing of your video did not take place, please, Kiana Cooper's case would have not been resolved properly. End quote. Put up the sheriff. Sheriff, you've actually done some noble things. I've covered those noble things on this show. You know he's a bad cop. I know you know this. You know he's dangerous. But beyond that, you know why. 
you know why he does what he does. That's Sheriff Gregory Tony of the Broward County Sheriff's Office. He's been elected since 2019. Keep his picture up. Sheriff, the attorney could prosecute the deputy, but maybe she does not have, uh, let's just say, the fortitude, the strength to do so. Sir, I have seen you arrest your own men, men and women inside of your department. I have seen you do this. Your officer lied under oath. It is clear in the evidence multiple times, not just once. He, he signed a sworn affidavit swearing and attesting on the penalty of perjury that these things are factual. If you do a review of his previous affidavits, I promise you, you will find he lied some more. He has not been charged with violation of oath of office, and he should be filing a false report, and he should be. And the fact that he criminally assaulted a citizen should give you every gateway you need to investigate everything in his past. Sheriff, I encourage you to quickly do the right thing so we can provide a proper update. All right. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a In Sunday? You're, you're I feel great! Back off! I'm going to tell African-American men threatening my life. Experiencing a racist door dasher. Mind y'all, I never spoke with her, never seen her or anything. Put up the picture full of masks. This is why we do the show. It's a public service announcement. Provides an opportunity for reflection and correction. Uh, a door dash driver was captured on video delivering an order, but decided to also bring racial slurs. This was in North Carolina. The driver referred to as Melanie by TikTok user Brincess Jones was captured on a ring doorbell camera. Uh, you saw the rude way in which she decided to opine about the order. Uh, so after she left the food, Melanie could be heard saying, here's your ish in word, come get it. As she took a picture of the delivered order, the video of the uh, racist DoorDash driver went viral after being shared by Jones on TikTok with the caption at DoorDash, this was definitely the most heartbreaking and worst experience I've ever experienced with dealing with DoorDash and little Melanie, count your days. Well, and uh, I don't think that's a, a physical threat, but definitely a social media one. Um, so here we are. 
the person who's the victim of these racial slurs said, I don't know her, never spoke to the person, did not have contact with this individual. Um, but naturally, we clearly see there's um, racist sentiment as if all of these things must have happened prior. Um, we got Ricky Smiley to opine on this matter. Doesn't make sense to me. You're delivering food, then all of a sudden, you decide to just start saying racist things. And typically, you can see if a person has a ring video doorbell. So uh, here we are. Ricky, thoughts? Uh, first of all, Dr. Ricky, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm watching the right show or not because I thought all the Karens lived in the suburbs. <laughs> I ain't never seen, Dr. Dr. Richie, <laughs> Dr. Richie, I ain't never seen a Karen do DoorDash. Yeah, okay? She, yeah, DoorDash. We're we going to have to come up with, that's not Karen, that's KK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's... That's KK that's delivering DoorDash and, and to sit there and wait for them to, I mean, what if the lady would have came to the door? What was she going to confront her or, or something? Is she unhappy with the tip? What is she unhappy about? Nothing yeah. uh, justifies that kind of behavior. And, I, and I'm glad I watch your show all the time, Dr. Mitch, and I'm glad that you are uh, bringing exposure and bringing light to people like this. So maybe people can take, uh, can take a deep breath and think their actions before they do it because, man, that, that is just absolutely awful. Uh, you must be having a real bad day uh, to sit there and wait for somebody to come to the door and uh, hurl out racial slurs uh, to someone that, uh, you, I mean, I, I don't even, I, I never done DoorDash, but on the app, can you see what color the person is who you're delivering the food to? You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm confused. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so the answer is no, <laughs> uh, which makes this story even more ironic. And I will say this uh, as as far as DoorDash is concerned as a company, you have to address this, number one, because I would have I would have a feeling. Well, wait a minute. If if you got folks like this work for DoorDash, why would I trust that they would not tamper with my food if they already hate my skin color while delivering right. my food? What would stop them from tampering? with my food. All right. Um, we'll bring you an update if uh, DoorDash provides a statement. This is an update to an indisputable exclusive. We brought you this story first. Remember the Denny's, uh, the Denny's restaurant, the workers who engage in discrimination against two Black truck drivers in South Dakota? Well, we have an update. The NAACP, the Sioux Falls chapter in South Dakota, they have launched a petition. They also went to the Denny's and gave the Denny's a bunch of pennies for their purchases. It was quite ironic. We have the background to that. I want to remind you of the situation that started it. Here it is. So, to make the more calm because we do have a lot of people here it would just be nice if you guys could leave but we are i can't what do we do guys i have no idea i'm not in the situation but um she like just like to make it more calm she said like you guys can come early because you do have a lot of people around or the police will be on the way because they are so but why do we have to leave we just came to order food i don't understand like what do we do that's not right man we, we were planning on leaving, but we wanted to wait for the police to get here because we wanted her name. Yeah, she didn't want to give us her name. 
because we want to submit a complaint. Okay. She doesn't. She refused to yeah, give us her name. Yeah, she doesn't have to give her name. She had, but she works here, right? We're mm -hmm. expecting for. We waiting for a manager. Right? Okay. Yeah. Do they have a well, manager? Well, um, did you guys do anything? No, we don't have manager in today. They're all That's off because they've been working though. like so all week. So if we leave, so. if I leave yeah. and the police get here, mm -hmm. she could just come up and say anything. I try no, to no, rob no. the yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. You um, know, so like, did you guys do anything to disturb her or disturb any customers? No, when, no. She, no, when she walked by, yes. I, had, I, I said, excuse me, because it yeah. seemed like she was, you know, Oh, yeah, it's really busy today. No, obviously. So, you know, I said, excuse me, because he's been sitting here for 15 minutes. Yeah, of course. So, you know, when she left, she came back with the menus, and yep. she said, well, I don't want to be yelled at. Yeah. And I said, I didn't yell at you. I was you Yeah, hold on. Can we talk outside real quick? Yo, record this. I am. Can we talk outside real quick? Ah, uh, just outside here. It's crazy. They're refusing to serve us. That's crazy. That's crazy. They're refusing to serve us. I want to remind everyone that those truckers contacted Denny's. They sent an email called the 1-800 number. Nobody responded. They then contacted media. No one responded. They contacted Indisputable. We listened to them. We reviewed what they recorded. We interviewed the truckers. Talk about nice gentlemen. These are good people. And I've maintained contact with both of them since covering this story. The manager, whose last name is Fletcher. Fletcher is the one who actually called the police, but Fletcher was not even at the store. The waitress in question called Fletcher. Fletcher called the police and told the police two black males are acting in a particular way that was contrary to the truth. The waitress happens to be married to Fletcher. So when Denny's came out with a statement and said, we have fired the person who did this, we learned from obtaining the 911 call. Yep, we know how to do that at Indisputable that it wasn't her who even called 911. So they retained the employment of the man who actually called the police and fired the waitress who did not call the police, but in my opinion, violated at least the public accommodations of these two gentlemen. Now, I bring you to the NAACP, put them up for a mask. They have started a petition from left to right, you have Julian Bodian, uh, vice president of the Sioux Falls chapter, and Langston Newton, president of the Sioux Falls chapter, NAACP. Put up the protest they led inside of that Denny's. They bought very small items and paid everybody with pennies. They did, did this for a while, recently. Members of the local NAACP and allies met at Denny's in Sioux Falls, South Dakota for a gathering to help draw attention from Denny's corporate office and elicit a response to request for engagement sent weeks ago. So the NAACP says, hey, listen, we want to engage. We want to talk about what has happened in this location, at this location. No response, according to the NAACP. So they have a petition now 
Um, and you can find that petition at change.org. I just put in the information, but South Dakota, Sioux Falls, uh, NAACP, it says, in part, this petition is born out of a deeply personal and disturbing incident that occurred at a Denny's restaurant located at 5201 North Granite Lane, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, on August 16th, 16th 2023. The restaurant's regional manager, Mike Fletcher, Mike Fletcher demonstrated not only unethical behavior, but also misused law enforcement resources in a manner that endangered the lives of two innocent black men who were simply looking to dine in the establishment. Mike Fletcher's right. actions mm -hmm. are a stark reminder of the systemic racism and discrimination that persist in our society today. His misuse of power has caused emotional distress and potential physical harm to innocent individuals based on their race, an act which is unacceptable and should not be tolerated. The community of Sioux Falls deserves better from its local businesses. We deserve establishments where all customers are treated with respect and dignity, regardless of their race or ethnicity. Therefore, we call for immediate action from Denny's corporate office to address this grave issue by demanding the resignation of Mike Fletcher. Once again, the man who called 911. We have the tape in our earlier coverage. We believe this will send a strong message that such behavior would not be tolerated within our community or any other place across America. It is time for change. It starts with holding those accountable who misuse their positions for perpetual harm, stereotypes, and discrimination. Put up those leaders of the local chapter again. I want to say thank you uh, personally and publicly to this dynamic leadership in Sioux Falls. You all in the area are blessed to have solid leadership. The national president of the NAACP, attorney at law, Mr. Derek Johnson, lawyer, humanitarian, previously served as president of, the, president of the Mississippi State Chapter and vice chairman of his board of directors. Uh, Mr. President, thank you, dear brother, for having such dynamic leadership yourself that you empower your local leaders to do what the organization is meant to do, to advocate to advocate for the advancement of us. I want to say thank you, President Johnson, to the um, auxiliary staff. Obviously, that's always required in order to make things like this work. Together, we make a closed fist when we go after injustice and discrimination. Um, Ricky, thoughts here. Brother Derek, man, is a good brother. He's also a member of Omega Sapphire Five Fraternity Incorporated. He's my frat brother. We often meet uh, every time we have our conclave. I absolutely love him. He represents uh, not only the NAACP, but Mississippi uh, very well. I've been a member of the NAACP since I gave my life to Christ back in yes. the day. When you had the, when you joined the church, you, you, you joined the NAACP and the SELC, and I'm a lifetime member. And uh, we thank God uh, as black folks uh, for the NAACP and organizations like uh, uh, the SELC and the Urban League for taking a stand because there are some people 
uh, Dr. Richard that just can't fight back. Yep. Uh, you, you get put in a situation like that, and then these people came and weaponized the police uh, uh, department and have two black men that work, that work hard, make, make an honest pay, have them step outside. Anything could have happened when they stepped outside. We know uh, what happens when, especially when you're getting up in the in North Dakota, South Dakota, where you are outnumbered, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of black folks that live in that area. Uh, stuff like that can be really dangerous. Uh, uh, it could have caused them their lives. And uh, and Dennis nasty anyway. I don't know why we keep going in there. We've been knowing Dennis was nasty since the 90s. I'm just being real. I don't eat there. Man, yeah. I, I'll go in. Man, I look, I'll, I'll make an egg sandwich or something to take it with me to South Dakota if I had to go there before I sit up there and eat at any Dennis. It's one next door to the radio station in Miami. And I ain't never ate in there at 99 Jams. I don't go to Dennis, and I'm not saying you go do what you want to do, but I'm not going to Dennis. How they racist in their pancakes, nasty? Come on now. <laughs> and I'm done. Uh, and, and I want to say this about the NAACP. Uh, I'm a member of the Atlanta chapter, uh, state of Georgia, and you don't have to be black to join, all right? This is an allied organization. We, we care deeply about our allied relationships, and, and I had the great pleasure of being the keynote speaker in San Jose, at the San Jose NAACP in California just a few days ago. Uh, dynamic leadership there as well. Uh, but you saw a diversity of individuals who are part of the leadership matrix. Uh, big ups to the active NAACP chapters all across America. A Detroit cop has been charged for beating up a bouncer Okay, let's go to the screenshots first. And this is such an extreme action. I mean, this guy, this cop was literally beating the bouncer. The bouncer was not resisting, not putting up a fight. He literally said, I was doing everything to make sure no one could say I ever resisted anything. That, that cop has not been charged with a crime. Uh, let's go to DeAndre Williams, a Detroit cop, put it up full mass. He's the police. He was involved in a brutal, it was a brutal attack of a bouncer caught on video. He has been charged. It only took the department a year and a half later. Williams was arraigned last Thursday, finally charged officially with assault and battery. Michael Kennebrew is the man that was physically assaulted in the video. It happened at a Detroit bar during a routine liquor license inspection. That's when this happened. Liquor license inspection. This was April 28th, 2022. Uh, Kennebrew, the bouncer, was initially arrested, jailed for three days, as the Detroit Police Department sought charges of assaulting an officer. However, uh, Charges didn't stick. That means that when people looked at it, they said, well, how, how the hell are you going to charge him with anything? You can't. Let me give you background on the attack. In the video, the bouncer, Mr. Kennebrew, says this female officer asked if he was armed. He said no. She then tries to grab him, and Kennebrew, he pulls away. Like, why are you grabbing me? So he pulls away from the officer. That set off the officer next to her 
Oh, I, I, I got to beat up a man now because he pulled away from an officer who had no damn right to physically assault him. Unwanted contact is called battery. Uh, that sent the officer off who decided to pounce on Mr. Kennebrew, punching him repeatedly. Um, when I say brutal, it was brutal. Kennebrew says he was, quote, careful not to resist and careful not to defend himself. And, and I got to say this. Um, Kennebrew could have kicked that cop's ass. Kennebrew is like three times this cop's size, okay? He never resisted. The man did not even defend himself. He allowed this cop who was, I don't know, showing out in front of his other officers. Um, he allowed this cop to assault him, put up those pictures. In the statement to Fox 2 Detroit, the bouncer said, quote, I mean, you kind of feel like your hands are tied. And it's a little demoralizing just as a person in general to go through something like that. Another officer had a taser that was in front of me coming towards my face area. So I didn't want to make any moves. So I just rolled it out until it was over. He let this man just pounce on him and pounce on him. No defense, no nothing. He'd done nothing wrong. He could have defended himself. He let it ride. There's more. Um, let's put him up. Chief of police, Buck stops with him. So the Detroit police alongside Detroit police chief James E. White released a statement saying, quote, the DPD expects and requires the highest level of professionalism from his members. Officer Williams' actions on April 28, 2022, violated DPD's use of force policy as well as our values. There you go, Chief. Um, once again, only took you a year and a half to figure that out. Swift justice has its place. I will also say this, there's another underlying issue here that may seem minor, but it's part of the culture. What started this? Another officer tried to illegally grab and search Mr. Kennebrew. He pulls back because he has the legal right not to agree to an illegal search. It's codified in your constitution, Sixth Amendment, et cetera. So that sets the other officer off. Well, well, why are your cops breaking constitutional mandates in the first place? Naturally, what the second cop did is much more egregious based on statute and impact, adverse impact. But what the first officer did was also a constitutional violation that was cause and effect to the second action of the cop. My point is this. How many times has an officer arrested somebody for something big and decided to charge them with everything? Uh, not uh, not turning on the traffic signal, not stopping at the stop sign, and they committed vehicular homicide, okay? They charge you with everything. And they allow the prosecutor to do the rest. They can drop, they can add. But in this case, there's no mention of the first action of the officer who decided to uh, violate the bouncer's constitutional rights, which led to the additional actions you saw that were wholly egregious. This is a cultural issue that has to be addressed. We cannot simply look away from the reality of the culture 
that permeates inside of policing because there are good cops, obviously. We go after bad cops only. But the culture of policing is defined by the bad cops who make the headlines. All right, Ricky, thoughts here. Hey, Dr. Richie, uh, again, you are on point for calling out, uh, you know, talking about the culture of uh, uh, policing. And uh, one of the things within the culture is uh, a lot of times I've seen a lot of videos where police officers talk to adults like they are kids. Like you're telling your three-year-old, come here, you know, uh, and, and you, you're dealing with adults. And when you put your hands on somebody, now I'm not mistaken, I'm not a lawyer or anything like that. But if you put your hands on someone, that means that they, they are under arrest. Yeah. Uh, if they are under arrest, uh, Dr. Richard, you're supposed to let them know that they are under arrest yeah. or, or they are being detained. But to put your hands on somebody and then them to snatch uh, to snatch away, that's what any adult would do if anybody uh, put their hands on them. And that don't give you the authority to put your hands on people uh, uh, or whatever, because he was not under arrest. So, right. uh, you know, and stuff like this need to be called out and need to be seen because it, it escalates all situations. And if the police officer's uh, job is to de-escalate, putting your hands on someone, a grown man uh, that's in uniform and at work is not uh, de-escalating anything. It's escalating. And right. uh, it should be some uh, accountability and some punishment. It, it just need to be, it just need to learn how to de-escalate. Yeah, that's right. And, and when you think about, once again, this was over a routine liquor license check. Uh, has nothing yes. to do with the bouncer. That has everything to do with the owner, not the bouncer. Uh, this is a paperwork check situation. It ended up in a physical assault against a citizen, and now a cop has been charged with criminal offenses. All right, we'll bring you updates as they come. We got more on the other side. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. Uh, it says... From Biden flavor corn pop. Wow, a racist DoorDash delivery woman? Question mark. You know, and it's amazing. She literally could have just waited to be racist in her bill. I mean, you that you're that anxious to be racist? You have to do it in front of the ring video doorbell. Um, also, uh, by uh, Biden flavor corn pop says good on the NAACP moving against the Denny's manager. Um, I will not be back to Denny's until I see this resolved to my satisfaction. Walk right past the Denny's next to my hotel. And I think this is Waikiki last, last week. That's what it takes. It's called economic withdrawal. All right. And thank you, Librio, Librio member for three months. Uh, I'm actually enjoying the positive updates today. Can't say that would have happened without Doc's coverage. Hats off to you, Dr. Richard. Hats off to the team, to the entire team. Uh, we have a great production team and also to you. Because without you, we are nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, we have an update. Remember the story that we covered about a college student, Mr. Judah Atkins, at the University of Southern California. Well, Mr. Atkins was arrested for a crime he never committed. He was arrested for armed robbery. He never did any of this. He ends up going to jail, stays in jail way longer than he should have. They don't allow him to make a phone call initially, stays in jail. But guess what? He gets adjudicated. Uh, it is obvious he's not the person. No problem. But see, in the midst of this, the school decided to 
expelled him. He gets adjudicated. He didn't do it. School should update. They never should have taken him off the roster anyway, but they did not provide that opportunity for him to come back to the institution, even though he was a victim of the criminal justice system. The institution decided to victimize him a second time. We have Mr. Atkins on the show. Good day, sir. Wish it was under better circumstances. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Richie. It's a pleasure to be here. Sir, I would like for you to tell us in your own words what happened that night you were arrested or that day you were arrested and the experience and then the response from your university. Uh, that night just is always gonna just be a very vivid picture in my mind. It was the last day of my freshman year. Class had just ended, and I went with my friend Tomas Manea, my other friend um, Arjun, to the SC choreographic showcase, which is just like you know a ballet recital for some of the dancers in the in the uh, Kaufman School of Dance here. And we just saw like one of our mutual friends. Saw him, um, as you saw in the story, I had my own receipt and also witnesses to say I was there during the time that the, the alleged crime happened. And then after just um, when I was on my friends, saw some more friends later that night. And um, after that, while walking home, I was just stopped by, or actually I first noticed a helicopter light just over me while I'm walking home. And then officers just start just coming and piling up the street. And I'm just walking by and they just a few officers come up to me and just like um, stop and detain me with few words. They just are like, stop. Um, and soon after that, I'm just like, you know, I'm walking back home, a USC student. And moments after they have they have me, you know, putting my hands in their car, asking for fingerprints, being handcuffed. And after that just goes into the whole, you know, live events that happen after. Wow. OK, so you get arrested they're not telling you all of the de details at this point right okay um you go to the precinct or you go to the jail yes sir. Tell, tell me about you not receiving your phone call immediately and also them basically denying your uh opportunity to simply eat food uh yes, to, to stay alive tell us about that experience well, first, before that, um, when you first enter a jail, you're held in a holding tank to be processed just throughout. And you're just being like just sifted through just like hundreds of people going in and out of this one cell that I was in for about 24 hours, just being held there. No food, no calls, no anything, just like in complete, just like shock. And then after that, I'm transferred to um, another cell with a few other cellmates, which is just like a probably like four by four foot cell and there i'm just like there's like absolutely no one no officers for at least a day and then when i finally do see one i'm I'm just asking can i get a phone call meals anything and they uh, withhold phone calls for about four days i ask why and there's absolutely no response they just treat you like you know a machine another robot in their system it's another cog in the system and the meals that they give, they give one for breakfast and one for dinner. It was absolutely just disgusting. Burnt, just like burnt everything, burnt peas, corn, like absolutely an edible meal. So I was probably surviving off 200, 300 calories per day for those first like four or five days while also just being transferred on sifted between like cells and holding tanks. Wow. Um, when you finally are able to make a phone call, because your friends don't know 
what has happened here. Um, your uh, parents, uh, they don't know what's going on with you. You are, uh, you just finished your uh, semester and all of a sudden you disappear. On day four, you get a phone call. What happened? On day four, I get a phone call. I call out to my mom, my dad, my friends are with me. I reach out to Tomas and um, he was the only person who actually came, well, aside from my parents, obviously, who actually came to see me. And at that point, I was like, oh, like, this is going to get dropped. Like, hopefully, like, I know that I haven't done anything wrong. And he's being really supportive. Tomas is one of my best friends I have, I've ever had in my entire life. He's there for me. He's saying, you know, you're going to get through this. This is before my arraignment. So I have a little bit more hope that, like, oh, this day has got the wrong person. Like, nothing bad is going to happen. Like, I'll be out of here. I have like a 10 minute um, call with Tomas and then I get a visit with him, like a five minute in-person visit because he also is staying back for me because he's supposed to be going back um, home to Connecticut, but he stayed there for me just while I was um, in jail for this time. And uh, I finally get to the actual arraignment itself. And that's where I just hear the prosecutors just like go off about what I allegedly did saying I robbed this car that I broke in with a gun, et cetera, et cetera. And they raised the bail to $150,000. And that's when it fully sets in. That's like, wow, like my life is actually over. You spent two weeks in the LA County Jail. Uh, you have this enhanced bond. There's virtually zero evidence saying you did this crime. Here are the connectors. What did they say was the reason they targeted you and arrested you specifically for a crime you never committed? Well, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but at first they said that the victim um, themselves identified me, identified me in a lineup of people that had been um, allegedly around the crime scene, which first of all, I'd never even been around the crime scene because the crime scene was in downtown LA, nearly um, five miles away, if not more, while I'm back at USC's main campus or near USC's main campus. And then after the prosecutors just went off about how I'm the one who had a gun, a lot of shotgun actually robbing a car itself. I had a bag with cell phones and a bunch of other robbing, uh, a bunch of other stolen goods. And one of the only reasons I was even able to um, get indicted and have reconnaissance as fast as I did was because I had Life360 on my phone, an app where, which tracks where you go, place to place. And I was like, if if I'm able to, you know, retain the evidence from my phone, then I'm going to be able to exonerate myself. But that in itself was a long, long process, at like post-release and also trying to convince the judge that, hey, I have the evidence on my phone. First of all, not even aside from the fact that I'm innocent, like, you know, being innocent self, but I have like concrete evidence. And I was finally able to obtain that. Uh, so at this point, you're talking to prosecutors. They're saying, we don't want to hear you. We know you did A, B, and C. You did none of that. Uh, it's almost as if any Black person would do kind of scenario. They just want to put you uh, in this in this situation and say, you're guilty. We're going to prosecute you. We have no evidence, but we're going to do it anyway. You get an enhanced bond. Um, you don't have some arrest record. You're not a convicted felon. You don't have anything that typically a court would weigh and say, this person is a flight risk. We need to make sure... Uh, that in lieu of uh, the charges and their history, we need to enhance the bond so that they come back to court. Bonds are not supposed to be prosecutorial by constitution.
So now you have evidence called uh, Life 360. Life 360 tracks your every location. You could provide this information. I'm sure you're telling everyone you meet, trying to be uh, thinking that they're decent because you're decent. Hey, listen, there's been a big mix up here. I actually have something. Can I show it to you? What was their response to you in the judicial system when you said, I have concrete evidence via technology that if you all have access to it or I have access to it, it can prove I was never around the area you say I was in. What was their response? Well, it's just a lot of technical semantics. And this part of the issue was a lot that my mother and my father were dealing with themselves because I had limited amount of phone calls just being um, in jail itself. So they once I told them that, they reached out to the prosecutors, uh, the public defender, the judge, trying to like, you know, put in the whole like motion to actually retain the evidence. So yeah, just like a lot of paperwork, a lot of just like, you know, hard work actually trying to get that, you know, put on for, you know, display a trial. But obviously the prosecutors had their own defense of just like, you know, like this person is like absolute the worst, like actually committed these crimes and mixing me up with, you know, a long list of people who I've never even talked to because um, I eventually realized that the actual perpetrators were high school students. I'm like, I've never even met these people at all. And just like the blatant racism of, you know, just like a lot of the prosecutors and I don't want to go after the victim themselves, but identifying me in that lineup, but, but just because of the clothes that I was wearing and the way that I look, I was like, wow. But now recovering that evidence was a long ways to go. And even took, and we even tried to uh, go for it after I was released on reconnaissance, which is an, another like week-long process that took, plus being on the ankle monitor itself. You know, I find it ironic, um, and I said this in my initial coverage of the story, that a judge eventually lets you go on what we call a signature bond um, for armed robbery. Uh, armed robbery charge usually does not carry a signature bond um, as a way to get out. But you go from an enhanced bond to a recognizant bond um, over a period of time, uh, which is pretty extreme inside of the judicial ranks. But let's talk about the, the reality that you're innocent until proven guilty or innocent unless proven guilty. You're innocent the entire time. Uh, you, you're not guilty of anything. You have not been found guilty in a court of law anywhere. Let's go now to the reality of what happened while you're in jail. Your school decided to arbitrarily take action against you, uh, the University of Southern California. They took action against you. What did they do? Um, once they heard that I had been arrested, there had been so much pushback. Um, once my parents called out and once my friends such as Tomas Manea reached out, um, Tomas himself even told me, that want, that they asked if I was an athlete or not. And once I said no, they immediately just like turned, just like back down, put no effort into actually, wow. you know, seeing if I was innocent or not. And then um, after they issued the suspension, which is which is what they call their interim protective measures in case a student actually does commit a crime. But for me being an innocent person, I was just absolutely just like heartbroken because I didn't even know about this until I was um, released. So imagine just like, I was just released. And then the first thing I see, like, as I, as I look at my phones, I'm just getting, oh, you've been suspended from USC. I'm like, wow, like I've been released. And I can't even go back to my normal life. So that was a months long battle, like actually showing them evidence, being talked to people such as Darren Moko, who was an amazing help to actually gain a suspension lift and being able to go back to school here. 
was just like such a toll because I was just like thinking that I was not able to go back to the place where, where I've been working for my entire life, like the past 13, 14 years of just like being in school, working, doing all the things that I've done, just like gone, just like to absolute waste. So that was a shell shock to me. You know, the uh, institution provided a statement. This is when uh, initially they were saying, hey, he's suspended. Um, we we will look at all information. We we make decisions based on information currently available. But clearly it was publicly available that you were innocent. Right. We could see that. But still, there was no update. Why did it take them so long? And, and thankfully, you had an advocate and your advocate. Uh, what's the name of the advocate inside of the institution again? Uh, Darren Mocha. OK, big ups. I, I want to bring attention to that because I, I think I'm a college professor myself. Big ups to people who advocate for students. Absolutely. Uh, so the uh, you, you, you get an advocate, the advocate where there we go. The advocate works on your behalf, listens to your story, advocates. What made this so difficult to just update it quickly? And so, you know, the man's innocent. Uh, we probably should not have made this decision based on a police report anyway. I believe that one of the biggest things for USC is just their image and not being held accountable for very uh, about actions that are very bad on the USC reputation because USC works in part with like their Department of Public Services, DPS here, and LAPD who are constantly in talks and having like a mess up as extreme as this is one of their students being arrested because of an alert because USC also sends out crime reports just about like things that happen in the area in efforts to protect, you know, the students and people around the area. But a lot of these reports are like really faulty and like really dense. And a lot of them will just have the race of the person and like no other facts. Like it was a black male or Hispanic male wearing this type of clothing with a very generalized weight and height. And in reality, it creates more fear than it actually does like find a resolution to things that should be held just directly in the police's hands. And so for USC to not put up comment out just shows further that they're scared of the pushback and the, the impact the story could possibly have. Yeah, and that's why leadership should have called whoever they have as their liaison and say, I need to see this directly because I don't believe uh, one of our students did this. So before we go on record uh, doing something against the student, we need to see the evidence that you have. And they would have produced none because they had none actually against you. They probably could resolve this before it became a story as it is today. Give us the update as to what's happening now as it relates to your matriculation at the University of Southern California. Well, um, thanks to Darren Melka, I was able to get that suspension off. I am back in school. I'm about to, I'm almost, uh, or past halfway through my first semester of junior year here. But there's been like absolutely no compensation or even apology from the school itself. I've still had to deal with a lot of bills, um, tuition, also just like helping pay off um, my student loans and all the financial work that my mother and father and my friends have put into even trying to get me out, which was a big help of the GoFundMe that um, uh, my friend Daphne Yaman, who first wrote this story, put out. And it's been an amazing, um, just like turn off support so far. And it means the entire world to me, just like seeing how many people have like reached out to me, have done it to me, just taking a little bit of that pressure off, just like, you know, I'm trying to pay rent and maintain a lot of things in my life. But that's been a really big help for me. 
But yeah, just trying to, you know, move forward more so that it doesn't happen to another person is like my main goal. And also trying to get my life back on track and finish out what I, you know, originally planned to do here at USC and graduate. What's your major? What are you majoring in? I'm a SEMA media studies major. Hopefully one day I want to be a director at Highline, just underrepresented voices. I have stories about um, African-American peoples and also queer communities themselves. So that means a lot to me is highlighting all, all the un, underrepresented people, especially since I have a lot of those type of people in my life. You know, I think that's a beautiful thing, brother. Um, <clears throat> sometimes life has a funny way of giving you a mess and you did nothing to deserve. It. And your message becomes the mess you got with age on it. M-E-S-S-A-G-E. Over time, it becomes a great catalyst for how you transform the world. Um, I believe you are a world transformer. I think you're a game changer at the highest level. And I know you're going to finish that degree and go on to do great things. Allow this to be a motivation to your continued success, understanding that there's an experience that you've had that you'll never forget. Unfortunate, yes, but it can also be powerful when you transform that energy into something positive. Um, where's that GoFundMe? I want to make sure we, we do the best we can to contribute even more. We got that GoFundMe? Let's Thank you, Dr. Richie. Oh, absolutely. Um, for those who are uh, watching, uh, I want you to do the very best you can uh, to contribute to this GoFundMe. This uh, young brother should not have to spend another dime to pay for his higher education. Um, we have to support people like him in the village because I know something that you know. Judah Atkins, when he gets into the arena of management in whatever capacity that may be, he's going to do the right thing by people, right thing by people around him. So this is what leadership looks like. Um, for those who have been supportive, what would you like to say to them, Judah? I mean, it means the absolute world to me. I want to say thank you to Ben Papp and Daphne Yaman for putting this story on such a higher pedestal and having it, you know, reach how much it has so far. And to people who have done and supported it, absolutely means the world to me. Reach out to me absolutely anytime. I like to talk to them personally and thank them. And just hopefully the story can gain enough traction and help a lot more people. There you go. Um, very thankful for your time today. Thank you. All right. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.